This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Well, we talk a lot about uh, pre-K through post-secondary education on this show. The uh, press corps and politicians focus on inputs. Never shall they connect them to outputs. So it's interesting to note this report announced yesterday, creators of the ACT test, announcing that scores for the class of 2018 are the worst reported in decades. Math scores are in free fall, falling to their lowest mark in 14 years. Only 40% of 2018 graduates meet the math benchmark. It's down from 46% uh, six years ago. Uh, We also saw readiness in English, which has been trending down over the past several years, dropping from 64% in 2015 to 60% this year. Readiness levels in reading, 46%. Science, 36%. We're both down a percentage point from last year. So that Common Core has really been a godsend, clearly. I know the ACT is only one measure, but it is a measure. And considering that K through 12 spending is going up at a 45 degree angle in places like Chicago and Illinois, we're not getting a lot of bang for our buck there. I would say maybe um, the focus on um, race and gender politics in the classroom to the detriment of reading and science and math should be reconsidered. Gosh, I don't know. I'll tell you what. It's interesting what happens when parents get involved in um, Kansas City. Uh, lesson for parents out there, the Pacific Education Group. We've talked about them before. They were part of the New Trier uh, I Hate White People Seminar Day. They've been brought into other K-12 through school systems that are obsessed with, uh, quote-unquote, equity, social justice, intersectionality, the same things going on on college campuses. Well, uh, after the um, uh, school... Uh, Lee's Summit School uh, wanted to bring Pacific Education Group in, pay them seven grand to come in and teach staff and teachers how to achieve racial equity in education. Parents push back, and that has been scrapped for now. So, boy, parents pay attention, parents get involved. Maybe you can stop uh, anti-intellectualism. Uh, in the classroom for your children. Which brings me to this piece uh, that I saw in commentary from Chloe Simone Valderi. Whiteness is blackness, blackness is, is whiteness. And the whole kind of everything you are is wrapped up in your skin color. Talked a lot about this too, but I think she offers a uh, timely take uh, after the Kavanaugh hearings and some of the op-eds that have derived from those hearings, uh, excoriating white women for not being down with the struggle against Brett Kavanaugh, just like they weren't down with the struggle for Hillary Clinton. Uh, So for more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by Chloe Simone Valderi, who is brand ambassador at Jerusalem University, which is a digital media company based in Jerusalem. And again, her piece and commentary is whiteness is blackness and blackness is whiteness. Chloe, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So um, you repeat, uh, or to repeat uh, something you wrote here, 
Political commentators and social influencers continue to promote a narrative that eerily repeats the macabre process of categorizing people according to color in whatever group they deem appropriate. You're hearkening back to Jim Crow in uh, making that statement in your piece. Can you expound upon that, what the dynamic is that you're addressing? Yeah, so one of the uh, underpinnings of Jim Crow historically was a pra- the practice of racially essentializing individuals or communities and essentially deeming uh, human behavior or categorizing human behavior according to race or skin color. And that's what we're seeing again happen, unfortunately, now uh, in 2018 uh, in certain circles of, of political and, and cultural discourse. And when it comes to um, yeah, essentializing characteristics, you use the example of the, quote, angry white man specifically. Um, mm-hmm. Distill that angry white man argument that the left is making and, and why you think it is specious. Right. So the argument goes that individuals, for example, like Kavala, because he displayed uh, or he showed signs of anger, um, or distraughtness, if you will, that he was exhibiting that angry white male syndrome. And my uh, sort of retort to that was, well, you know, when Bill Cosby was convicted earlier this year, he cursed out the prosecutor, and no one in their right mind would deem that as angry black male syndrome because we know that people, whole communities should not be categorized or characterized according to the individual behaviors of of single members of that community. That is the definition of stereotyping and prejudging people based upon the actions of others. Uh, And so that's a way in which we've seen this return of racial essentializing uh, of people, of individuals, in the name of social justice, even if someone was angry or, or indeed exhibiting a sense of entitlement, there's nothing particularly black or white about that that is actually fundamentally human. And, and so why do you think it is that uh, people who are making these arguments like Ta-Nehisi Coates are, are celebrated mm-hmm. and they're supposed to be sort of this uh, new intellectual set uh, and uh, the arguments that are being made by you and Eli Steele and, and others are uh, not given as much, uh, as much attention? Well, I think that it is an easy impulse to engage in. Uh, the impulse of believing in a sort of justice that is defined by, quote-unquote, evening the score. I think that that is an easy thing to um, feel attracted to. It's not, a, it's not a sober political idea or it's not a wise political idea, but I think we have impulses to believe in that, and I think that that is where a lot of people are coming from. Uh, a lot of people actually promoting this, I think some of them at the very least have good intentions, but this evening the score type justice is not going to create an egalitarian society. The search for cosmic justice is both impossible and also uh, precludes the creation of an egalitarian society. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, to, to a very large degree, Ta-Nehisi Coates is certainly more popular than I am. Um, I think that on the surface, he's a very beautiful writer until you uh, actually unpack what it is he's saying. So I think to, to the extent that he is a beautiful writer, you know, that gives him a lot more of a platform. But I do think that uh, center-left papers are, in fact, 
uh, contending with these ideas that I put out in commentary. I've been published in other papers as well, talking about these types of issues, including the New York Times and Atlantic Magazine. So I do think, to a certain extent, we are seeing the, seeing the mainstreaming of these ideas that I and others like me are putting out. Chloe, I wanted to get your opinion and, and how you felt about President Trump the other day uh, when he was in Texas, described himself as a nationalist. Um, some are yeah. interpreting that as he said he's a white nationalist, which he didn't. He just said he's a nationalist. How does that make you feel? Look, I think that Donald Trump, to a certain extent, is dog whistling uh, to speak to his base. Um, I don't know if he personally is. I mean, I don't think he personally is a white nationalist, but I do think that he knows what he's doing when he uses certain words that speak to certain elements of his base. There's this entire, entirely separate question of what is nationalism in its um, more mild form and what does nationalism look like in its more excessive form. There's, no, we, there's nothing wrong with, I think, promoting nationalism in its more milder forms. Many people, many people around the world are proud of their countries. It's a question of 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 uh, tempering that, and are you talking about nationalism in a in a sober way, or are you talking about nationalism in an excessive way, as in America to the preclusion and to the exclusion of all other people, or are you talking about American exceptionalism for the purposes of contributing to other people around the world? And I think that question is the central question that people need to keep in mind when hearing the president's rhetoric and when trying to parse and unpack what it is he means when he says these types of words. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that uh, distinguishing nationalism from jingoism, from exceptionalism, is a difficult conversation to have at a rally of 100,000 people. I also think it's a difficult conversation for the D.C. press corps to assimilate because they don't know the differences either. I mean, they're, you you know, that, Mm -hmm. that is a crew that is full of people who are not exactly deep deep thinkers or, um, intellectual giants either so um you know so so our political discourse sort of uses cheap handles our our politicians sometimes use cheap handles in their discourse and i think that was probably more the case with trump than than anything else Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i would i would just add one more thing i would say be that as it may that it is difficult to communicate intellectual ideas uh to a large crowd uh i think that the president being the president of the united states as a responsibility to cultivate uh, an educated populace. And this may not be on his agenda, but I do think that at the very least, the spirit of the presidency and the office of the presidency uh, should communicate that. Yeah, that's a fair point. I agree with that. Um, Let me uh, ask you one more thing about your piece, because I think one of the arguments you made was really interesting. If if whiteness is a thing, the way that uh, Coates and others are promoting it, then blackness Mm -hmm. is a thing, too. And so mm-hmm. these these intersectionality advocates uh, end up being very restrictive with respect to what it means to be white, but also this you know put put minorities on notice. It, they're also going to be very restrictive with respect to what it means to be black or Asian or some other race or ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Yes, it contributes to uh, the idea that stereotyping should be in vogue, should be a popular thing to do. Uh, I think we saw this when Tanahisi Coates wrote about Kanye West in the Atlantic magazine, where essentially by trying to draw a line to define what he thought whiteness was, inevitably and inadvertently drew a line about how he defined what blackness was, which is the exact opposite of what we've been 
attempting to fight for, at least historically in the civil rights movement, and certainly from an artistic perspective, if you look at, and I talk about this in my piece, if you look at the black artists of the Renaissance, uh, the Harlem Renaissance movement, and others who are historically part of the civil rights movement, the idea of freedom entails the freedom or the freedom to be, to engage in good behavior, the freedom to be in uh, engaged in bad behavior. This is a freedom of human choice. And the idea that uh, certain human choices are can be reduced to skin color is precisely the thing that we have been fighting for since the days, or excuse me, fighting against since the days of Jim Crow. Yeah, and your uh, piece, it should note, speaking of uh, black intellectuals, starts off with one of my favorite quotes from James Baldwin. So uh, to your point, she is Chloe Simone Valdari, Brand Ambassador at Jerusalem U, a digital media company based in Jerusalem. The piece and commentarymagazine.com. Whiteness is blackness, blackness is whiteness. Chloe, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And she joined us on our turnkey 